This reading today is from the Reverend Victoria Weinstein, one of our UU clergy colleagues. She writes, The church exists to question cultural norms, to help us want the right things, to hunger and thirst for justice, to make us uncomfortable with the gap between our professed ideals and our actions. It exists to claim us, to shake us, to demand of us, and to make us new people, brothers and sisters of one another, lovers of the world, workers on behalf of the kingdom of equals, and the kind of people that others are so drawn to that they can't help but ask, how did you learn to be this kind of person? My church is teaching me, we would respond. My church is teaching me, and it is a lot of inner work, a lot of thinking and reflecting and talking with people about how to be, and it's expensive. I give my church a lot of my time and my money, but it really is working a miracle in my life, which feels amazingly freer, richer, more meaningful, deep, and hopeful than it ever did before I devoted myself to this religious community and practice. So I walked into church this morning, I was about a mile away, um, needed, needed to do that for my own sort of practice, needed that 20 minutes of just time to clear my head and get ready for this morning. I actually did the, the singing chant, I did that for most of the walk, but in the last five minutes of the walk, I found myself wondering, what was going to happen? In church today? Who, who was going to show up? What long-time members would I see and smile and say hi to? What new people would I recognize, people coming in with broken hearts or deep yearnings? What was going to happen here? But I didn't really anticipate sort of that uh, oceanic <laughs> experience with you all in this choir and that um, it's just, I feel like, praise, right? Praise, praise, praise. Mm. So, I'm going to talk about money today. (laughs) In fact, I'm going to ask you for money today. And you're thinking, oh man, what have I gotten myself into? I should have started that Super Bowl party prep a little bit earlier. (laughs) It's true, it's a money sermon. And in the, full, in the spirit of full disclosure, I feel like you all should know that on the front end. Now, mon- money is one of the big three, right? The big three being money, sex, and death. <laughs> right? We spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about those things, right? Like life, energy, scheming, planning, imagining, dream, right? Like money, sex, and death. And I've, I think I've done a decent amount of preaching about death and endings. I know Kate has. We'll continue to do that. I think every Sunday we should be reminded in church that we're mortal, that we will die, that we have this gift of life, and how we use that gift matters. So I think I've covered death pretty well. Uh, I mean, you know, right? Like you can always think about it and reflect on it more. And I haven't done a whole lot around sex. So what do you all think about a sermon series in the fall? 
right? <laughs> yeah. A sermon series in the fall around sex and spirituality, around sort of wholeness and health and, and intimacy and how there's a deeply, deeply spiritual dimension to that, all right? We'll, we'll look at that. Yeah, we'll look at that in the fall. And, and some of you are probably like, hey, let's hear that sermon right now. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> Skip the money sermon, preacher, and let's just hear the sex sermon. That's what we want this morning. I hear you, but today's still about money. But the good news is I'm not going to use guilt or shame or fear as part of this money conversation. Now, I can imagine you might be asking, you might be sitting there in the pew saying, okay, that's good and all, but what does money have to do with church and spirituality and faith? Actually, I would argue they're completely connected, and I'll get to that in just a second. And I would also say, what better place than church to talk and reflect on those things? I mean, really, if you were here last Sunday, and you know last Sunday we were talking about casting out demons, right? Surely we can talk about money in church. So here's the story. Today we're launching our annual pledge drive. It's a month-long pledge drive, and by the end of the month, hopefully all of you will have done some really serious reflection and discernment and made a pledge, and we'll have a real good sense of what our budget is for next year. The back story to this month and what you're experiencing now is that the pledge team and I have been working since August. We've been reading and reflecting and studying and thinking about generosity, generosity as a spiritual practice, giving as a spiritual discipline, as a way to really stretch and grow as a human being. We've been talking and thinking about this stuff since August, so we're pretty fired up. We're pretty excited. And we're also really clear that the church has a role, a really important role, in helping us align our money with our values and our faith. It is a role that no other institution plays, right? The YMCA is not going to say, let me help you think about your faith and your spiritual practice and your money and your values and kind of get those lined up. Maybe they do at a class I've never been at. I don't know. My sense is the why isn't there. So, Part of what that has done for the pledge team and myself is put us on this journey, this journey of really walking the talk. And so the pledge team and I, as we've moved through this year, we have committed to pledging 5% of our income or moving towards pledging 5% of our income to the church. It's been challenging, I'll be honest. It's also been joy-filled. It's been a constant reminder of the blessings we have in our lives and how good it feels to give back. And speaking just for my wife and I, this faith, this community matters to us. And so we make that choice to pledge 5% of our income. We live a simpler lifestyle. We don't have a television or cable TV. We've never bought a new car. And our furniture? Well, our furniture probably could be replaced, okay? It's a little worn. And I'm telling you that not as a guilt trip or because everyone needs to immediately pledge 5% or anything like that, but because this faith, this church matters. And so that giving is not an obligation or something we do out of guilt. It is a joy. And I'm not sharing this so you start to feel this overwhelming sense of guilt. I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with having a TV. I watch TV or a new car. New cars are great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. And I know that some of you are already pledging 4 or 5% of your income or even more, and you've told me how good that feels. It's a concrete way to acknowledge the blessings we've received in life and to give just a fraction of that blessing back. 
Let me pause for just a second here and just ask you, where, where are you at? <laughs> are you uh, sort of stirring, feeling a little bit like uncomfortable? Because money's got some energy around it, right? You talk about money, you're like, church, I come for spiritual things. Like, money, where are you at, church? You're kind of squirmy, feeling good? Some heads nodding, shaking. Well, here's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot stirring and you're kind of thinking about your, your finances and where you're at in life and, and all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of energy around money. But I think I've probably been a little bit abstract to this point, right? It sounds good to say from up here, the spiritual practice of generosity, right? The spiritual discipline of giving. Pledge 5% of your income. I don't know how that sounds, but I think it's a little bit abstract. So I can imagine some of that just sort of sailing right by, not really sticking. So I want to move from the abstract to the real, to something that I think will really stick. Here's a concrete question, a concrete question for all of you. If you're already pledging to the church, Will you pledge an additional $50 to $100 a month for our 2012-2013 church year? $50 to $100 more a month. Sure. Oh, that was brave and awesome. I, didn't, I don't expect an answer from the rest of you. I think you need to, but that is awesome. I mean, like, if, you, if you're feeling the spirit moving and you want to be like, I'm in, that's great. I do have some follow-up questions, though. How does it feel when I say, will you, and imagine this is a one-on-one I'm having with you right now, but will you increase your pledge by 50 to $100 a month for this next church year? What's, what's stirring now? What's the internal dialogue? Maybe you're doing some math in your head, right? You're like, okay, that would be, let's see. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I could do that, or mm, not so sure, Justin, you don't really have a sense of my, my life or my finances. Or maybe you're thinking something else altogether. But let me be clear. I believe that some of you could do this and even do more. And for others, I know that you've lost a job or your house has been foreclosed on, and so that is just out of the range of possibilities, and I understand that. I recognize both ends of that spectrum. But my sense is that for many of you, 50 to to $100 more a year is a possible increase, and it would be a stretch. So back to the internal dialogue for just a second. I don't know what's buzzing in your head, but I have a story I want to share because I think there might be some parallels, perhaps, to what's buzzing in your head. And this is just a story. This is a parable, if you will. It goes like this. A local charity had never received a donation from the town's banker, so the director made a phone call. And he said, hey, our records show you make half a million a year, yet you haven't given a penny, a penny to this charity. Wouldn't you like to help the community? The banker replied, Did your research show that my mother is ill with extremely expensive medical bills? Oh, no, mumbled the director. Or that my brother is blind and unemployed? Or that my sister's husband died, leaving her broke with four kids? Oh, I I had no idea. So, said the banker, if I don't give them any money, why would I give any to you? It's a silly story. It's a parable. 
But it points to a truth, I think, a truth in an exaggerated, over-the-top way, but a truth that acknowledges it's hard to give away our money, right? We expect something back. We expect an exchange, but to give out of gratitude and joy, not out of obligation or guilt, but to give gratefully, not expecting anything concrete back, that is hard. But we know that generosity, that this kind of deep generosity, this kind of giving can be a practice that opens our lives and our hearts in deep and profound ways. And that's what this church is calling you to walk, that path of deep, profound giving. So I'm asking you for money. Yes. I'm asking those of you who can stretch to stretch in your giving. And aside from stretching being really good for you spiritually, let me tell you another reason I'm asking for this increase. Remember that reading we had earlier that Kate shared? The one that went like this? The church exists to question cultural norms, to help us want the right things, to hunger and thirst for justice, to make us uncomfortable with the gap between our professed ideals and our actions. It exists to claim us, to shake us, to demand of us, to make us new people, brothers and sisters of one another, lovers of the world, working to create the kingdom of equals right here. And people will be drawn to us because we are different in the world. And they will say, how did you learn to be this kind of person? And we will say, my church is teaching me. It's a lot of inner work and reflecting and practice. And it's expensive. I give my church a lot of time and money, but it is really working a miracle in my life, which feels amazingly freer, richer, more meaningful, deep and hopeful now than it did before I devoted myself to religious community and practice. What that says to me is that church is not a head game. It's not an intellectual, abstract place where we come to learn things only. It's a place we come to practice. It's a place we come to live and be a different way, to be an instrument, to practice being an instrument of love and gratitude and generosity and justice in the world. In this way, then, church is like a base camp, right? It's a place we come to get supplies, to be trained, to get food, to make plans, to get warm, to encourage one another, to sing together, and then to get going out into the world as we live out our faith. Church as base camp, day of service as faith alive in the world. Church as base camp for developing spiritual practices, the world, the place we practice. So here's how this all comes together. I'm asking you to give to something that I think is incredibly meaningful and important in this day and age. And that is a religion that says we are one. We are one human family on one planet Earth sharing one destiny. We are one, and we are in this together. Here, we claim that there is a love that exists beyond any belief. Here, we can bring all of who we are, our brokenness, our failure, our heartbreak, and our hopes and dreams. We are building a base camp like no other, a place to get equipped and then live differently in the world. And each of you, each of you, are needed 
And I'm asking you to stretch in your giving if you haven't already. And if you're new to First Universalist, new in the last three months or six months, and, you're ha- and you haven't pledged yet, but you're feeling like, yeah, this is my base camp. This is where I want to kind of get some supplies and get equipped and then go back out into the world. This is a great time for you to pledge. Generous members of the church have put up $8,500 in matching money for first-time pledges. So your first-time pledge will be matched dollar for dollar up to $8,500. Let me tell you, in these days of scientific discovery and technological wizardry, miracles still abound. And I'm thinking about yesterday, the day of service, right? Two hours here, three hours there, four hours, eight hours. Those are wonderful contributions by themselves, but it's not much. But multiply that by 420 people, and all of a sudden, you're closing in on 2,000 hours. All of a sudden, you've done a year's worth of, one person's year's worth of work in a day as you serve the community. That same kind of miracle exists with the pledge drive. Each of us stretches just a bit in our giving, $50 more a month, $100 more, and then something amazing happens. And this is important because we're also at a critical time in the history of this church. We are in our second year of not having a major tenant, a charter school, in our religious education wing. It was great when they were there as far as the money it brought in. It brought in about $200,000. But the cost to the classrooms, the cost for our religious education program was tremendous. It was a barrier to our mission in the world and to being effective in educating our children. So we've been making up that difference, but at the same time, we've been growing and adding new initiatives. So we're not there yet. And many of you have been involved in our strategic planning process. And some big dreams are emerging Dreams about a third worship service that's different than these two on Sunday morning. Dreams about more and deeper faith formation and classes for adults and different kinds of support groups for people going through challenges and transitions in their lives. Dreams about other strong partnerships with Habitat, like the one with Habitat for Humanity, but partnerships in the community. And dreams about harnessing the technology of the 21st century to share and grow in our faith. Live streaming, for example, online classes, a whole host of resources available online. Dreams about adding a minister of faith in action. Dreams about being known in the community as the youth leadership church. And dreams about giving away 100% of our Sunday morning offering. Are y'all excited about any of these dreams? Like, this is amazing stuff. Like, we're at this place where the capacity and the possibility of what we can do and be in the world as we live our faith is amazing. We're on the verge of taking this base camp to a whole new level. And here's the thing. I don't know if you remember that line I delivered last year in the, in the pledge, pledge Drive sermon. Uh, some of you might, but here's what I said. I said... The, The good news, the great news, honestly, is that we have all the money in the world to do these things. We have all the money to be a bold, audacious faith and really live into these dreams and implement our strategic plan and all of that kind of stuff. The good news is we have all the money we need to fulfill those dreams. The bad news is that some of that money is still in your pockets. (laughs) Right? And it's funny, and it's maybe bold or or audacious, and it's also true. It's also true. Collectively, we have the capacity to be and do something remarkable, to be a place that plays a critical role in defeating the marriage amendment in November, to be a place, a base camp 
Yeah. It's... There was a whole room full yesterday during the day of service of people doing phone banking around this issue. They got trained for 30, 90 minutes and then phone banked. It was like 15 people just signed up. We're going to be doing that and all sorts of other stuff, but also reflecting on how our faith is shaping this work we're doing. We're going to be a place as a base camp for children and adults where we are equipped to live in the world in a deep, faithful, and grounded way as agents of love and hope. And we are going to be a place where we practice giving as a way to embody the reality that none of it is ours anyway. That we don't get to take any of it with us. That being alive is a blessing, is a gift. And that our response to that gift, the only response to that gift, should be one of gratitude, of praise, of joyfully giving back. May it be so, and amen.